All right, thank you, everyone. The latest show of Heal Thyself. You know, I wanted to uh, take some time to thank everyone again for the million views and downloads. It was very much so meaningful to me, um, to the staff. We've really been working hard at being consistent with this education and this knowledge, and you all have been working hard at listening and spreading it, and I really appreciate that you've uh, empowered so many people yourself as well. All right, so today's show is going to be very interesting because it's been a while that I've been asked to do a review and a knowledge bomb segment on essential oils. So I'll be talking about essential oils today. Then our guest, Matthew Kenny, a very, very successful plant-based entrepreneur and chef. We're bringing him in here to teach us about uh, plant food and how to make it sexy and how to incorporate it to our lives and just hear his passion about food. Um, I'm sure it'll inspire many of us. All right, so without further ado, let's get to this knowledge bomb. All right, essential oils, right? This has like been one of the first things that I've been asked to speak about. Finally getting around to it. I think it's really important to talk about them because they're so they're so abundantly used in, in the health space, right? And they've been here for a while. They're pretty popular. Um, but how many of us use them? I know that you know someone who loves essential oils. And I know that you know someone that probably sells essential oils, right? So uh, are they good quality? Do they work? How should we be using them? Should we use them at all? So... For me, man, it feels like over the past few years, it really has been blowing up. And um, really something for me when it came to essential oils is automatically I thought about the purity, right? Is it safe? Who should use them? Uh, What brands should we start considering and talking about as the top brands? So really my goal with this segment is going to be for us to understand, well, how they're used, what they're used for, but really how to use them safely and effectively. Essential oils are plant extracts. They're obtained from distillation, right? That's the method they obtain majority of essential oils, right? I'll talk about other methods, but what's utilized uh, is, is the way it's utilized is via aromatic therapy. For the most part, we are benefiting from essential oils because they're really concentrated uh, and what we're what we're smelling is these molecules that are therapeutic, right? Our brain's transducing it into therapeutic uh, benefits in our body, which is amazing. That's why it's called aromatherapy, aromatic therapy. Um, so there's different essential oils. You might have heard rose oil, jasmine oil, lavender, tea tree oil. These are all essential oils. Now keep in mind, I mentioned that it's very concentrated. It takes about it takes a few pounds of material to make one little bottle of essential oil. So it's very, very potent. Um, and one of the most important aspects to bring up for us in this discussion of essential oils are, I mentioned distillation, but how it's extracted, right? Many companies actually out there, essential oil companies, that you may you may go online right now on Amazon and type in essential oils. And I promise you, probably 40%, 30%, hopefully not 50 or 60%, of these companies out there are going to have harmful chemicals that you can be exposed to. Now, you don't just ingest chemicals, but you breathe them in too, right? Or you can absorb them topically. And this is how essential oils are used. So it behoove us to really, really get to know our essential oils and especially the companies, right? We want to have a hand in what's being exposed to us, our kids, if they're using them, all right? So we want to make sure also that it's not only non-toxic, but it's the oil itself, right? We don't want diluted oil. We want concentrated, good, strong, therapeutic oil. So how do they work? Well, this is the way I explained it when I was in my residency in the cancer hospital. When you are exposed to the scent, right? These aromatic molecules, these constituents, these constituents are going into the nose, into the nasal mucosa, 
right? And they're stimulating a cranial nerve called the olfactory nerve. It's a sensory nerve that is sending that signal all the way to uh, uh, the nervous impulse right to our brain. And our brain is realizing the therapeutic benefit, right? And it's really powerful. Here's the thing about essential oils. It's different than like, it's different than like, let's say if I'd taken herbal valerian or lavender, right? Here's, here's the different part. When we breathe in those molecules, it stimulates a part of our brain called the limbic system. And the limbic system is very closely tied into mood, emotion, memory. So essential oils actually have a hand in accessing even mood changes, which is amazing, right? How many times have you smelled something in your life and we're reminded of something in the past, right? So this is what we do. This is the importance of essential oils. It's mood modulation. So think about memories, think about emotion, right? And this is why essential oils can really work so powerfully when it comes to anxious state, right? If you're really anxious, it can actually stimulate or reduce that stimulus, right? To help you calm down and put you in a place where, wow, and that's because it's happening in the limbic system in the brain. And the amazing thing about essential oils, when you breathe it in, it, the therapeutic benefits are realized within 15 minutes or so, and sometimes even way faster. I've seen it happen way faster, and you see this in studies, right? So one of the major therapeutic benefits that we see in essential oils and that I've seen it used for the, one of the most is anxiety, right? So lavender oil, generally regarded as safe overall, it activates the part of the brain that I mentioned, right? So now what you're doing is you're increasing your parasympathetic tone, right? That's rest, digest. That's not fight or flight. That's rest, digest. That tone is really important. Your mind and your body are relaxing, right? And the studies show that there's actually a short-term relief coming from the usage of these oils, which is amazing because if someone's suffering with general anxiety or restlessness or agitation or mixed anxiety and depression, the evidence is lacking on phobias and panic disorders, but it can be beneficial for the aforementioned, which is amazing, right? Because what we're seeing now is that something like lavender essential oil in the context of anxiety is gonna give you calmness without sedation, which is really important because traditional benzodiazepines like Valium, Xanax, Ativan, they don't do that. They can't claim the same, right? And additionally, it doesn't hold the withdrawal symptoms that those may. Right, so the benefit is realized fairly rapidly. So I think that there's really a place for an essential oil when we talk about anxiety or anxiety medication or paired with anxiety medication or something. We really need to start discussing this because we're seeing that, yeah, it doesn't give you the sedation and without the withdrawal symptoms, which is amazing. Right, so there's a little controversy there was um, on the development of something called prepubescent gynecomastia, which is the development of breast in young kids who are using lavender oil. It was a very small sample, it wasn't conclusive, and what we do see in studies is that lavender oil is a weak estrogen, not strong enough to really put those boys over the top. And I, I, I'm interested in looking at the confounding factors, right? Like what are one of our main sources of estrogen when we're young is dairy. So were these kids eating dairy and cheese? So you may have heard about that study. I just wanted to talk about it um, because it's not clear cut that, okay, lavender oil causes gynecomastia. So other oils commonly used for anxiety are jasmine, sweet basil, holy basil, rose, bergamot, vetiver, uh, sage, frankincense, lemon balm, geranium, all really, really good calming oils, right? I wanted to mention one of the hard things about setting up a true, true, double-blind, really high-level study on essential oils is because the challenge is in the placebo. You can't have a fake scent, which is really hard, right? You can't fake a scent for both the participants and, and the investigators. So this is why we're not seeing such robust, strong, well-designed data 
is again, because you, you just can't blind a group to a scent. If it's a peppermint scent, you're gonna know it's peppermint. We also see essential oils can be helpful in nausea, which is the way that I used it in the majority of the time when I worked in the cancer hospital. Uh, peppermint was one of the major ones aromatically that have these little sticks, these patients, and they'd open it up whenever they felt nausea from chemotherapy and sniff the sticks, like kind of like smelling salt, uh, but really potent uh, aromatic peppermint that sent a signal to the brain where their nausea just started getting much better, minimized. It, w it wouldn't fully get rid of it, but if they were at an eight, it brings it down to a two or three, which is major, and no one likes nausea, right? So headaches and migraines, we do see some data on that. Um, you could do it aromatically or even topically, like chamomile at the temples or behind the, behind the head has been shown to be helpful for people. Sleep insomnia, as I mentioned, lavender, also uh, a big one for sleep and insomnia. You use that aromatically. I've seen it help patients uh, as part of a sleep protocol. Inflammation, for sure, I've seen frankincense, turmeric, ginger help topically. Now, remember, topically, you don't put the essential oil on straight. You always have to have a carrier oil, like coconut oil. That's usually what happens when you're getting a massage. You're smelling the essential oils, but it's diluted. Um, tea tree oil, I've even seen help as an antifungal, antibacterial. I've had folks do tea tree oil soaks on their feet when they have athlete's foot and or a nail infection, and it's been really helpful for many people, but again, it's diluted. Um, so clinically, yeah, I've seen a lot. Unfortunately, again, a lot of these studies are not super well designed, right? So you're seeing cell studies, right? In vitro. Uh, you're seeing animal studies, which are not truly showing us the full extent. But again, clinically, yes, I've seen it. But my whole thing is safe and effective. I'm going to get into that. So I mentioned topical, topical and aromatic, but I wanted to mention ingestion. Now there's controversy with this, right? I don't think there's enough data to show that swallowing essential oils is safe, right? It could be irritating to the mucosa. It may be cytotoxic, meaning that cells can be stressed and die. Um, the better choice, I think, if you are all about ingesting essential oils, is talking to your doctor about maybe an encapsulated one that may uh, that'll open later, that'll that'll protect your mucosa in your mouth and in your esophagus, which is really important, right? So there was a My Body Green article that I read a little bit ago um, by Dr. Snyder and Dr. Gandhi, and they mentioned that we have to understand, yeah. We get it. We actually get exposed to essential oils through food, right? Like something like cilantro. We're getting the essential oils of cilantro, but that's only like one to five percent potency, right? I mentioned. Remember the concentration it takes pounds and pounds of material to get into an essential oil bottle. That's about fifty to seventy percent potency. So remember nature's intent when we're using therapeutics. This is why we don't. We shouldn't overdo the essential oils as well. There are some essential oils that absolutely should never be ingested: arborvitae, birch, cedarwood, cypress, eucalyptus white fur, wintergreen, okay? So again, if you are all about ingesting essential oils, please talk to your doctor. Make sure you're doing it safely. Um, I, I know my opinion is I just think that um, I work very conservatively when I have patients. Uh, my opinion is to just take a step back and there's other ways. You can use it aromatically and you're going to get the benefits. So, or even topically with a, with a carrier, it's going to be really important or with an oil to do, sorry or you can use it topically with an oil. So there's other ways you don't have to ingest it. So now that we know about essential oils, I wanna go into a few things in essential oil products, the purity, the cleanliness. So let's go to that product. Not all essential oils are created equal. I mentioned earlier in the knowledge bomb, the extraction process, right? Some are steam distilled. Actually, most essential oils are steamed distilled, right? And that's 
that is the gold standard, but there's certain essential oils that can't go through that process because it'll ruin the material when they're going through water distillation, right? Um, so some need to be extracted with alcohol or a chemical. So before we go into that extraction method, I'm gonna give you some tips already. Never buy essential oils in plastic bottles, right? You wanna get it in glass. That glass wants to, you want it dark and amber colored so to protect it from oxidation, right? Essential oils are different from fragrance oils, right? Fragrance oils are usually have a chemical base, right? So please, it shouldn't say essential oil, fragrant oil. It should say essential oil. Make sure you're buying an essential oil. I'll talk about my favorite ones, but fragrance oils are basically what's coming out of perfume and uh, cologne. And that's kind of the stuff you want to stay away from. That stuff is really toxic. I hate perfume and I hate cologne. But in addition to that, it's not just that. You're, you're getting fragrant oils in soap, candles, cosmetics, personal care products, right? So some of the oils that are used, I mentioned, are sensitive to steam distillation. They won't be able to make it through there, so they need... Uh, a chemical extraction method, right? Uh, they create basically something called absolutes, and those absolutes are created from from a material called concretes. Um, and that method to extract it is coming from hexane. Now, you may have mentioned, heard me mention hexane before when I talk about canola oil. So hexane's a volatile chemical, right? It's really useful in extracting what they want into that, from the material into that concrete, which comes into the absolute, which comes into a fragrance or certain essential oils that I'll, I'll mention. But hexane is a volatile chemical. All right, there is a known toxicity. One of its main toxicity routes is inhalation. So if anyone is working with large amounts of hexane and they're inhaling it, they're gonna feel the effects of it. The CDC toxic profile on hexane says uh, inhalation is a known route. And when you breathe it in into the lungs, you're gonna clear about 50% of it in, in the first 30 minutes, but over four hours, it's still building up in the system. So I want you to keep that in mind, how the body's getting rid of it, because if you're consistently being exposed to it every four, six, eight hours, and you're having a really poor hexane, hexane extracted essential oil, then you might have a problem, especially if it's long-term. So the oils that need an extraction, uh, usually via hexane, are going to be rose, jasmine, ylang-ylang, baronia, lavender, geranium, clary sage, violet, and oak moss, right? Even, even the top tier companies are using hexane to extract the, uh, the, the essential oil from this material, unfortunately, because it can't go to steam distillation. You can't use rose for steam distillation. So just keep that in mind and you can look it up. You can ask, you can call your companies and ask if they use hexane. Some may use alcohol. I don't know to the extent of, uh, from the chemistry standpoint, if alcohol is better indicated, but I do know a lot of the top companies do still use hexane. So be very careful if, because you're going to have hexane in the oil, um, if you're using these oils every single day. Now, some companies might do a much better job of cleaning up the oil after than others, but that's the responsibility for you guys. Call up the company and find out. So the system that's really most affected by hexane is our nervous system. So if you're using a poor quality essential oil and some of those like, let's say, ylang ylang, and you're breathing it in every day or you're giving it to your kid to breathe in uh, and it's causing cognitive issues or nervous issues like numbness and tingling, it might be because of the essential oil. So I personally don't like hexane because of its role, especially when it comes in canola oil. Keep in mind, some of the top companies do use hexane. Some use alcohol. You know, you can call and inquire, but those essential oils in itself. And one last thing I will say before I get into the companies, essential oils should not be dirt cheap. You shouldn't be going online and buying a $10 essential oil. Really good bottle of essential oil is going to be about $20, $25, $30. So you're paying, this is something where there is actually 
a real benefit to paying more uh, because I do believe there's a big difference between a $10 bottle versus a $30 bottle. All right, doTERRA. doTERRA is probably the most uh, talked about or the most well-known essential oil company. It's a multi-level marketing company. So we do see a lot of uh, coaches or, or members for doTERRA uh, selling. And I always question, okay, like if they're selling so hard, how good is this product? So uh, doing some research myself, I learned a little bit more about it. Um, I do use essential oils and I have some doTERRA ones because I've had people give me doTERRA. I've had people give me Young Living and some other ones. So I have a bunch. I just wanted to talk about uh, for you if they're really high quality. So we do know that doTERRA did, does use hexane to, I mean, you can go on the website and it talks about using hexane for certain uh, materials, certain essential oils. But I think overall, it's a very good company. They have an, an insurance protocol or an, or, or an insurance standard, right? That each essential oil is pure and free of contaminants or synthetic fillers, right? And the protocol is uh, certified, pure, therapeutic grade protocol. And it's again, rigorous examination. Every batch is examined, third-party testing. This is all good to the ear. Um, and then you learn about it on the website that they actually do follow through guaranteed transparency for everyone. And this is how essential oils need to be because the essential oil market can be very much so adulterated. So they do speak about some of the, uh, some of the tactics or some of the testing that they have for the purity. They have literally first like just using all your senses by the expert distillers. They have microbial testing, make sure it's not adulterated with, uh, with bugs gas chromatography, which is ensuring the purity, uh, that there's no adulterants. They use mass spec, which is showing the chemical composition that you're getting what's supposed to be in there. Uses infrared, so basically light absorption to show how potent and strong it is. They have chiral testing, shows that no, there's, there's no synthetics. Isotope analysis, basically showing the constituent ratios, those therapeutic constituents, that they're in there and the ratios that they need to be, and they even do heavy metal testing, which is, you know, Dr. G loves heavy metals. You can also go on their website, learn about how they're growing it, how they're distilling. They're very cognizant about sourcing. Um, you can go actually through some of the oils on, on that page, and you can learn about where each one is sourced, where the materials are coming from. Um, but one of my favorite parts is the source to you section. You put in your quality ID number that is going to be found on the bottle, and then you can look at the third-party independent results. Really, really, really important. I may not mention the company that you you like or the one you've been using, but I guarantee that your company should be doing that where you can type in the batch number or you can type in the bottle and you can see the third-party test. It's so, so important in essential oils, all right? Young Living. Now, I will say this. I'm not gonna say I'm pro doTERRA versus, I know there's, I think there's like a little feud going on. I remember um, I had a friend who loved Young Living and then she was like, no, 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 no doTERRA. And then the other way around, um, that's not what I'm in the business for. I just want to be able to talk about how clean this stuff is. Um, so I don't know the politics behind it, but Young Living is another really good one. They have something called a seed to seal program, um, which is again, rigorous quality control. That's the thing we wanna see, right? Never compromising, never adding crap in there, synthetics, contaminants, cheap fillers, no unethical practices in production, which is very important. Companies should have a sustainability model, have a ethical model when it comes to everything from growing to harvesting to distilling everything. So they do have third-party testing. You can go through almost a whole, you, you can go to the site, you'll see all the testing that they do. It's pretty much very much so in line with what doTERRA does. Um, they're really cognizant of their supply chain and I mentioned sustainability. And then you can even go on the website and learn about their farms and standards. But within that seed to seal program, you can do the same. You can look up the quality ID number and you can check out 
what that bottle looks like as far as third-party testing. So both of them, doTERRA and Young Living, are the, um, they're, the big, they're the big guns when it comes to essential oils. But I would say on paper and what they offer and learning about how they distill and how they, how they basically create the product from, again, seed to the source, very, very good one. One that a lot of people don't talk about but is a really good one out there is Rocky Mountain Oils. They're very, very transparent. This is not an MLM company. So it's just e-commerce. You just buy it online. Uh, but again, dedicated to transparency, how it should be. They do gas chromatography, mass, spec mass spectrometry, and you'll see the third-party testing. And you can see how pure it is without the indulgence, which is amazing. So you can go to the GCMS section, the gas chromatography mass spec section, and you can type in that um, the input code and you'll get the full results. Again, beautiful stuff. This company also has singles like single oils and different blends, like a love blend, a vibe clarity blend, focus blend, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so I think if you are looking to get essential oils, I would go with these companies because I think that they offer the best testing, the best transparency, the best farming practices, ethically, sustainability. This is really important for me as a consumer. I'm sure there's other good ones, but I think you know, I can go over, let's let's say 10, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to waste your time. I just want you to know which one are really good out there, which one passed the test. Um, be very, as I said, be aware and very, be very careful of things like Amazon or buying them from any shady stores. Don't buy essential oils from shady stores. Be very clear that and know that essential oils can be adulterated. They can be diluted. Um, and you can be breathing in adulterants like hexane, which can cause long-term issues for you and your loved ones, okay? All right, there you go. Essential oils, you know your companies, stay away from the crap, very easy. Know that they're therapeutic. We, we're looking for more studies. You can't really do a big study on it because of the placebo issues, but know that essential oils can really help folks. All right, let's get to that special guest. All right, everyone, today's special guest, very special guy out here, Matthew Kenny. He's a, a chef and a restaurant entrepreneur and also the owner of one of my favorite restaurants, Plant Food and Wine, which I'm waiting to open up so I can go, <laughs> right? We're waiting, maybe July? July 3rd. We're excited. We've made a lot of changes during the shutdown. Yeah, big, big changes. So uh, it, my audience is familiar with Plant Food and Wine because every time I'm there, I do a bunch of stories and I'm showing the plates and everything. I love my food. Uh, how long... What got you in? So you're you're a vegan chef. Right? Uh, yeah, I am. How long have you been in, in this world? Well, I went to culinary school, the French culinary school in 1989. So what is that, 30? 30, 30, 31 30, years. Yeah, 31 years. Um, but my, I, you know, I had dual passions, food, culinary art, and restaurants, and health and wellness. Even in high school, I was into healthier foods and exercise and fitness. Mm -hmm. And I got into the restaurant industry because I wanted to open a restaurant, not because I wanted to be a chef. So yeah. I went to a French cooking school to understand what happens in the back of the house. And it just, this was after college and it just felt very natural for me. And I just kept going. I was like, wow, this is exhilarating. It's fun. You know, and I worked in a restaurant and then another, and then I became a, a chef and it came very naturally for me. So I just kept going and opened my first restaurant in the early nineties. And for about 10 years, I would do, um, reinterpret Mediterranean cuisine in a very clean way. And mm -hmm you know, but at the same time doing yoga and meditation. And eventually the two came together and I realized I needed and was passionate about using my culinary training to apply it to healthier food that provides wellness mm. as well. And it's true. I mean, like if you look at 
the ingredients you use as a whole, it, they're, they're healthy, uh, whole food based. And then I don't know how you do it, but it's delicious, right? It ain't, ain't nothing like when I make at home, obviously I'm not a chef, but it's so, so good. Um, what, when you were in school, you, you didn't start in, in the vegan role, right? You went French school, you, you know, you learned yeah, traditional stuff and then yeah. butchery. So, and then when you opened your restaurant, it was Mediterranean vegan or Mediterranean just as a whole with fish and everything. You really didn't even hear the word vegan in late eighties, especially in the culinary world. I mean, no. there were vegans, of course, but the idea of a vegan restaurant, you'd be very, you'd have to search really long and far in New York City. And I was in New York City where you can get anything. Yeah. So there was a vegan cafe, which uh, in my neighborhood, which ran out of a, a shoebox, like a you know few hundred square feet. Yeah. And the owner would make the food and deliver the food if you ordered delivery by phone, mm -hmm. no apps. Um, but it was, you know, brown rice and steamed vegetables and, and things like that. And um, not so innovative, but clean. And... Um, and maybe once in a while we'd go to an Indian restaurant that happened to be vegan as right. a novelty. And there were a few, there was a, a place called Zen Palette that was a Chinese um, vegan restaurant, but it was very processed and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't considered a cuisine in those days. So it was, um, when I got into it in 2002, 2001 or so, there weren't these vegan cookbooks and all these recipes you can find on the internet now and plant-based culinary schools, the term plant-based wasn't even being used right. at that time. Right. So much has changed in the, in the, you know, last 18 years. Yeah. So how have you seen when, around what time did that change start happening? Did you see it in the culinary world? It was very, very gradual over, I, I, you know, I can use blocks of time from like 2001 until 2015. It was kind of slow and steady. A lot of plant-based businesses didn't, didn't make it. But then you had a few that, that survived, and yeah. it was really in the last three years when plant-based products started to become more well-known, the media started to focus yeah. on it, and that includes documentary films, and it also includes the media talking about health, the medical community embracing plant-based, because I remember right after I went vegan, my neighbor in, my, in a summer home, he was he had been a doctor for many years, all, they were all from Harvard, and uh, his both his sons were doctors. Yeah. And I, you know, he, he offered me a snack on his porch. We were having a glass of wine and I said, you know, I'm, I'm vegan now. And he kind of shunned it and said, well, where are you going to get your B12? And mm, the typical, you know, where are you going to get sure. your protein? Yeah. And my parents even said, well, you know, they said to my brother, oh, I'm worried about him. I don't think he's going to stay healthy. So that was the, that was the climate back then. Right. So the medical community, the financial community, the media and the consumers, you know, all sort of coming together to recognize this is actually a legitimate way to be healthy, not only us, but the planet and the environment, the mm -hmm. economy, mm -hmm. um, and so forth. So the big change has been in the last year and a half. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. You see it, you know, and, and the, oh my God, in the past three years, all these documentaries coming out and the boom on these plant-based products that they're selling everywhere. And, you know, all of a sudden Whole Foods or even just uh, like Ralph's around here is carrying all these new products. Like, what is going on here? It's, this wasn't here years ago. What then what you said back then you just decided I'm not going to eat animals anymore. What, what, what was the reason for your health, for the, for the community, for the, for the world? What, what was it? Well, I grew up hunting. I, I was eating very natural seasonal food growing up, yeah. but not close to vegan. I don't think I heard the word vegan until I grew up in coast of Maine. So I don't remember. There were some eccentrics who were vegetarian, but you didn't hear the word vegan. Yeah. I was in 
you know, born in the early 60s. Um, so it was um, after I moved to New York and I started really, for the first few years after I became a chef, I ignored my health to some extent. I was working 100 hours a week and I'd work out on Sundays, the one day that I might take half a day off. Mm -hmm. And I remember on my 30th birthday, I said, you know, I have to get back to like the health routine I was in when I was younger. And I joined a gym and one of the first things I did was take a yoga class and I was in love with it. So I started my yoga practice 25 years ago and it got more and more intense to the point where I'd want to do it every chance I could. If I was traveling, I'd yeah. find the nearest yoga studio. And the more I practiced yoga, the more connected I felt to our food supply. Mm -hmm. And the more I started to say to friends, I could be vegetarian, even though my business wasn't. And, um, you know, it just, it was a buildup over time. And then somebody took me to a vegan restaurant in 2001. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a weird place and the food was definitely strange, but <laughs> Just listening to the people in there, talking to them, seeing the vibrancy in their eyes, I realized like there's room in the market if a chef can really elevate this cuisine and make it not only as good as non-plant-based cuisine, but better, the prettiest, the most fashionable, that it could be, um, you know, the future of food for us. Yep. And so I dove into that and then never, never stopped. That's awesome. And, and that you have, because that's exactly what it is. It's very tasty for one beautiful. I know a lot of people who are not vegan who still come to your restaurants and they're, they're loving it. You know, um, there's a lot of folks out here who are very interested in, uh, transitioning or incorporating more plants, not even necessarily in jumping into vegan, but incorporating more, but there's always a stigma. They're like vegetables. I don't know how to make them good. How am I going to have my kids start eating more vegetables? My husband definitely is not going to eat vegetables. What are, what are some things that maybe from your expertise, some tips that we can start taking to make our food a little more sexy, a little more tasty. Yeah. Well, first of all, start with pizza or desserts. Yeah. Um, because that's why we started a pizza concept because we ha had already, Plant and Food and Wine had already opened when we created Double Zero in New York. Mm -hmm. And it was doing fine, but it wasn't reaching the mainstream. Yeah. And so we wanted to take the world's or the, one of the world's most popular foods and do it as, in a plant-based format without processed ingredients. That's a great entry point. But I mean, you know, I think people try to, at it's so different at home versus in a restaurant. Yeah. At home, I eat really simply. And, um, you know, just keep the flavors clean and, and things that people are comfortable with. That's what I really try to focus on. Like, that's why we created our heirloom tomato lasagna, because everybody likes tomato sauce. Everybody, most people like pesto. Mm -hmm. Most people like pasta, even though the dish is made without pasta. So those flavors, tomato, cheese, mm -hmm. pesto, just sticking with things that people really like or, you know, if somebody loves sushi, I mean, you can do a vegan sushi that, you know, just is made with avocado and cucumber. And if people really like do a deeper search, they'll realize they have, they love a ton of plant-based food. So start with those, you know, eat a little bit more of that, a little bit less of this. Yeah. And that's a good way to, to get into it as yeah. well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, we grow up like eating mostly foods. We're, no one's growing up a carnivore, right? Like we're eating mostly foods that are plant-based, whether it's grain or vegetables or fruits. Yeah. So you're saying it's not like you're taking away a big chunk. You're eating more variety and keeping it simple. Like we can get heirloom tomatoes. We can we can even buy like um, pre-made ricotta, right? Oh, yeah. Ricotta. Um, and put all those ingredients together, right? You can and, get it pretty much anything these days. I mean, yeah. It's so Hard, easy. Easier than it was, right? I'm sure yeah. 10 years ago you were like, whoa. You see, I'm sure you've seen a big difference in the food industry because like... Well, when I started, we didn't even have raw cacao beans in the stores. So oh, wow. raw foodists, which I was in the beginning, we were using 
cocoa powder because that was the only alternative. Agave, which isn't you know the healthiest thing in the world, but it's an alternative, wasn't available in the stores yeah. when I got into this. So most of these, there certainly weren't any nut cheeses in the stores. No. Um, most of what you see now is was not there at all. It's pretty incredible because you can get different types of cheeses. But again, the simplicity, but also making it tasty. Now, people always ask me about spices. What are some of your favorite spices to add onto these dishes? Well, I like heat. So, you know, chili and, you know, red chili flakes. But, I mean, we're doing um, an Ayurvedic-inspired uh, restaurant in Florida called Air, A-Y-R-E. Mm -hmm. And so I I used to do a lot of Moroccan-inspired cuisine. So, you know, I loved cardamom and cumin and coriander and turmeric and ginger and loved those flavors, especially when I'm balancing them with, like, sweet and citrusy. Yeah. Yeah. So the Indian cuisine is is inspired it's a little bit different the flavor palette flavor profile is a little bit different but we're experimenting with a lot of those similar spices mm. but used in a different way mm. that so, sounds delicious when's that opening by the uh, way uh it's supposed to be october november yeah yeah hopefully everything is clear if ever, yeah depends on the state and florida's not top of the list right yeah, now Yeah, i know so so uh for me cayenne is one of my favorite ginger is one of my favorite fennel yeah, which is really, really good for digestion. These are all really therapeutic um, spices that we don't use in our food enough. But it's easy to make it flavorful just by, you know, just adding them up, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the most simple ingredient, like I love sweet potatoes and anything that's a little bit starchy or porous, like a mushroom or a potato, really absorbs the, the flavors, really, you know, very, very well. Right. Or sauces, right, soups. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. Well, we keep that in mind. Here, <laughs> what... um. How about any other tips as far as like what I know there's so many moms who are like my kids, I really want to get them eating healthier. Um, what is a way to incorporate these plant-based foods or just vegetables? Um, is there a way that you think we can cook them or, or special like puree blend and a Vitamix or a Nutribullet? How do we get these kids? Because it's a youth, right? That's when you develop mm -hmm. that palate. When I was a kid, I hated broccoli. I hated Brussels sprouts. You better believe I hated Brussels sprouts, but now I love them. Right. So how do we start getting our, the kids eating more? Any ideas? Yeah, I didn't love vegetables when I was a kid, especially peas, which I love now. You do? I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll just make a salad with quickly blanched peas. I think that historically they've been overcooked, which is a weird texture. But if you undercook them a little bit al dente and toss with mint and olive oil and sea salt and like, again, like an almond feta or something. Yeah. It's such a good snack. But I, uh, I think, you know, kids love food that's fun, like things that are stuffed and wrapped so like make a ravioli you know blanch a whole head of spinach and puree it with a little bit of olive oil or even sweet potato and and you know wrap it in a put it in a pre-made like ravioli shell yeah things like that you know just serve them foods they're familiar with but swap out the non-plant-based i mean you know we have um we make a red bean pepperoni and mm -hmm. it's just really bean and a little bit of walnut and spices and so forth and I think a kid is going to eat a lasagna with like a red bean bolognese in the same way that they're going to eat the meat. They're not, it's not that, it's just the right. idea of it being a vegetable. Right. And I think, you know, just making it comfortable. Um, but it's, it, we serve a lot of kids, our, especially our pizza restaurant. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of kids. A lot of kids come in? Yeah. Sometimes there'll be nine or 10 kids in the restaurant when we open at five o'clock because they eat yeah. earlier. Yeah. So, and, and so you have the double zero in New York and then over here in LA. So that's a really good idea. Like bringing the kids out, start introducing them to 
maybe non-pepperoni pizza, right? Or pepper or uh, pizza with different vegetables on it um, is a really good idea to start getting, you know, getting that palate going. I think it's something you said, like start with pizza, right? Yeah. Start with pizza. And um, I think that's, that's a great introduction to the transition. I mean, so much of it needs to start earlier with education yeah. in schools. You know, we are taught that a farm is where the goats and the cows and the pigs live. But, you know, you, I don't remember from when I was growing up too much about an emphasis on a farm being a place where you're producing all this abundant, beautiful produce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, not at all. Not it's, at all. We just it's learn, all the different animals. Yeah, we, and we, know, we learn all the songs for them, too. So you've been then, let's say, vegan for, what is it, 30 years more? No, vegan, like uh, 18, 19 years. Yeah. 19 years. Okay. How have you felt? Has, has your health been better? Has your mental clarity been better? Your connection to nature been better? Have you found any benefits from it since you started? Yeah, well, the first benefit is is really that it changed the um, the energy of, of how I communicate in the world, the people that I'm, I'm drawn to, that are drawn to me, that I come in contact with, that I work with. There's a, there's a really high level of consciousness and sensitivity and like how we met. You know, it's like it's a totally different um, world, mm-hmm. worldview for me. On a personal level, which is why I was attracted initially, it was it was game changing. I mean, I had been uh, I forget how old I was, but it was late thirties, and I've been exercising all my life and started to have some aches and pains, which I just thought that's part of aging. All that went away. So, and again, I'm not the medical professional, but you know, my pH, my acidity levels completely shifted. Even though I was never a big meat eater to begin with, but a little bit of dairy, a little bit of fish, right, was enough to not have my body, you know, be its best. Mm-hmm. So the mental clarity and, and the connectivity with, with the planet or, you know, I think I've gotten more creative, had to get more creative because how do you make yeah. a lasagna out of you yeah. know, zucchini or whatever? Um, and, uh, and then long-term, I mean, at 55, I'm definitely like a lot healthier internally and externally than I ever would have expected to be. I can still do everything that I could do 20 years ago in terms of long distance running and tennis and don't get the injuries, never get sick, haven't been in a hospital one day in my life. Knock on wood. Yeah. So Knock on wood, yeah. Um but um I don't think I would be able to say that if I'd continued on a more uh, standard diet. A lot of people. A lot of yeah. people. I've seen I've seen people even later in their life, like in their fifties or sixties, start just making a transition and all of a sudden their joints stop hurting, like you've mentioned, like your muscles, you feel great. There's a, there's a major place for people, at the very least, incorporating all of those plant-based foods, right? Absolutely. Huge, huge. And I noticed, especially for when I was really practicing like every day for years, is that the folks who came in with heart disease and prediabetes and diabetes and strokes, their numbers just plummeted immediately after you know we started incorporating more plants and or veganism. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So... Um, it's nice to always meet people who've been doing it for a while. Um, I think I've done it for 11 years now, and I feel great, you know. I'm, t- I'm 36. I'm 36 soon, wow. right? So, you know, you and I look very young for our age, but that I always like to say it's a little fountain of youth that we, you know, we're tapping yeah, into. Yeah, I'm excited to be 56 this summer. You know, it's like, it's good. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's also the habits you learn when you're, it's not just being, in my opinion, it's not just eating vegan or plant-based. It's also like you become more conscious of hydrating properly. You become more conscious of how you chew your food, where your food comes from, you know, if it's organic or not. Mm -hmm. I think there are like 
30 or 40 or 50 or 60 things we do differently, supplementation and proper sleep and meditating and all of these things that are not a priority if you're kind of living like a standard uh, diet. Yeah. It's always like, I always say it's the, it's the gateway drug to more conscious living, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just a first step because the more you're honoring your body, the more all of a sudden you're honoring other people, your work, you're conscious about everything you're coming into contact with. And that doesn't go to say all vegan, you know, like, but it's, it's certainly like a, a mentality and a lifestyle and it's beautiful. I love what you said about it creates a sensitivity. So you start attracting different people. Um, because I've, I've found that like, there's, there's a, there's a level of sensitivity when you are start honoring your body deeper and deeper and your connection to earth. And all of a sudden you attract people. And it's, it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't see much of that when I was, when I started off my age group, there wasn't many vegans. Yeah. I came to California, all of a sudden I see a lot of plant-based people, vegetarian, vegans. I was like, oh my God, this is like a like-minded community. They speak a language that you're very familiar with. It's beautiful. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's really pretty, it's, you know, you, you draw that energy, they draw that energy mm -hmm. and, and it's, uh, no, it's incredible. I have really, uh, interesting connections all over the world because of our businesses. Like we have just the most incredible partners in yeah. multiple cities and to know that, you know, I can travel there, they can travel here and we have the same sort, sort of things we're passionate about, yeah. which is less about material items and more about, you know, living our best life. For sure. For so. sure. And I love that, you know, when I went to Germany last year and I went to Portugal, there was restaurants everywhere. It was one of, I know you've traveled the world. What What's one of the best countries that you found that really are open to good plant-based cuisine? Well, it's kind of surprising. We uh, we have a lot of business in South America. We have a restaurant in Brazil and, um, well, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, Mexico, and Costa Rica. But Brazil, for example, largest meat exporter in the world. Yeah. And we opened a restaurant there uh, with our partners and served a thousand people the first two days. And it was so busy that we had to close and reorganize. And I went and did a seminar there. And, you know, if I do a seminar here in LA to talk about vegan or whatever, maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe 100 people will come. Yeah, yeah. There it was sold out, over 400 people. And this is a country that's known for meat consumption and meat exportation. So it just goes to show that the passion is there. Yeah. And you can also find that sensitivity with the chefs. Like the best restaurant in Brazil is arguably Dom. And the chef, his name's Alex Atera. It's one of the best restaurants in the world. And he really does a lot of work for sustainability, respecting the Amazon, embracing the indigenous ingredients. And I went and had a 12-course tasting menu, completely plant-based, that he made. And it was like mind-blowing. Not a vegan restaurant, but he's dialed into it. So yeah. that was a great experience. And I've seen that in multiple countries around the world. Yeah, I love that. So Brazil, even surprisingly... I, it was when I was in Ecuador, my, my dad's Ecuadorian, man, I, all I was eating was salads because there was no real places right there. Yeah. So I think South America is catching up, but I can't believe that in Brazil, such a, and Argentina, you mentioned too, same thing. One of the largest meat consumers per capita in the world. It's wild, yeah. I, it, which shows that there's a, there's a, there's a want, there's a, there's a community in every country that really wants to learn and open up to it. It's beautiful. I haven't seen a country where that's not the case. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I love Germany. Germany had so much access to good vegan food. Everywhere. Yeah, you can find it anywhere Brilliant. in Europe. Oddly enough, Paris is still a little bit of a stretch, but it's there. There are it's some very cool options, yeah. Yeah, really cool. That's good to know. Now, you have a course online. Yeah. Now, now, is it for chefs or is it for everyone? It's for everyone. So the first course is called Foundation. Um, 
And it's a pretty intense course. Uh, it's a Food Future Institute, and it's an online academy. We'll be opening online classes in the in the early part of next mm -hmm. year. But the first course, because we opened during a time that online was better, is uh, it's about 110 lessons, 18 modules. Each module has a different area of focus. And we've woven in all of the culinary techniques throughout. And the reason it's for... You know, in traditional culinary school, you can either be an amateur or a professional. Yeah. For the most part, plant-based techniques are so different. You know, there's a lot more focus on fermentation and aging nut cheeses and things. So yeah. it doesn't matter even if somebody's been a chef all their life. They have to relearn everything just like I had to teach myself to relearn. So it's it's really for everybody at all levels. And it's it's pretty fast. It's intense. It's really cool. There's yeah. There's a live feed so the students can all see... There are other students' works as it's come up. They can like it. They can comment on it. They can communicate with each other. Um, it's very tech-driven, and um, there's a lot of support. We have 24 hour, almost 24-hour support. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's very much visually driven. A lot of videography, photography, beautiful design website and curriculum, and really cutting-edge recipes. Mm -hmm. So anybody who takes this course, if they really apply themselves, they're going to be able to get out and have a, a really strong understanding of elevated plant-based cuisine. Yeah, that's amazing because I get a lot of people going like, I want to learn how to cook more plant-based cuisine versus just, you know, making a salad at home. So I, I think there's a, a huge place for an, an interest for even people who are not chefs, right? Yeah, that's the way to do it. I mean, we, we opened about, we launched about five or six weeks ago and we have almost 700 students um, on six continents. Yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. Uh, and any other plans? I know you're busy with that course, but any other plans that we can look forward to from you? Any restaurants open in LA that maybe I'm asking for a friend? Anything? Well, we have about 30 restaurants this year that are either reopening or opening new ones. Awesome. Um, all over really. Uh, we're opening in Mexico. Um, big place in San Francisco called Baya. Baya. Um, reopening Hungry Angelina, Plant Food and Wine, our partnership with Logere, the French uh, patisserie company in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Boston, um, Palm Beach, some international projects. So that's the restaurant side. We're adding more education on site and building our second course. We're doing a very cool app, which will be more like a subscription model and about content, global, mm -hmm. global content. Um, we have products that uh, came out this year, a couple product lines. Mm -hmm. And um, what else? There's so many different things. We're working on a, a really a, a nationwide meal kit program that's going to be really a big project. That's going to um, be really cool, accessible for a lot of people. Yeah. We're even working with a hospital. We haven't announced it yet, so I won't say the name, but we're working with a, a really large hospital system to educate 80 of their uh, chefs, oh, the wow. chefs who feed patients and, yeah. and also yeah. the staff. Um, so we're going to be training them, create a special program for the, the culinary team that works at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we hope that can expand we to need other that. countries. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of different partnerships. Um, you know, it's 45, 50 different businesses that, but it's all driven by the same thing, innovative plant-based cuisine. Yeah. And how do we apply that? How do we share it? How do we serve it or teach others to serve it mm -hmm. or package it, make it accessible or put it in a book so people can see it. So it's really just, it sounds like a lot and it is a lot. It's a very complicated business, yeah. but these are different ways we can distribute the work we do. I love that. I love that. I'm very inspired. I can't wait for some of those things to unfold, uh, especially on my side, the medical, the hospital is like something that I've been pushing for so long. I tried to have a food uh, meal business and then all of a sudden I got really busy doing doctor stuff and now I respect how crazy that is 
But um, I wanted to bring that into hospitals too because we need that so bad. Yeah. I worked in a cancer hospital and I was in shock what I saw when people were eating, uh, drinking, and like just the, the recipes are terrible. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Matthew, thank you. Pleasure. For coming to the show, man. I appreciate it. And uh, for all the listeners and viewers, go check out. Is there a way we can find out all the restaurant chain? Like, is Yeah, on everything's website? on our website, uh, www.matthewkennycuisine.com. And um, we have just our hospitality page. Go there and all the, all the restaurants are listed by, by city, basically. So take my word for it. Go on that page. Go to your nearest one. You're, gonna, you're not going to be disappointed. It's beautiful, delicious, high, innovative, plant-based food. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Matthew Kenny, for that part of the show. Really, really important for us to understand how we can get more in touch with plant-based food, how to make it sexy, right? We gotta start, we gotta get the kids eating some plant-based foods early on. So let's make it fun. Uh, I would suggest you just look up his stuff, go to one of his restaurants, right? Take your loved one on a date, go, because it is, it is like unbelievable, the food. I hope you enjoy it, I hope you enjoy the show. Much love, thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and I'll see you next week.